0: want to give love to the city that's a fact but you're gonna need help if you want to make an impact. Well endowed you want to be well endowed with the Edmonton community. Things really happen when you find that you're well endowed.
1: Hi everyone welcome to the Well Endowed podcast I'm Elizabeth Bonkink
2: and I'm Andrew Paul. This podcast is brought to you by Edmonton Community Foundation. And we are a proud affiliate member of the Alberta Podcast Network.
1: Edmonton is full of generous donors who've created endowment funds at ECF. These funds are carefully stewarded to generate money that supports charities in Edmonton and beyond.
2: On this podcast, we share stories about how these funds help strengthen our community. Because it's good to be well endowed.
1: On this episode, we find out how climate change is impacting Alberta's environment and what Canadian Parks and Wilderness Society is doing to help.
2: The Canadian Parks and Wilderness Society, or CEPAWS for short, is Canada's only nationwide charity dedicated solely to the protection of our public land and water. They ensure our parks are managed to protect the nature within them.
1: In 1968, the Northern Alberta Chapter was established. It was the first regional chapter in Canada. Since then, this chapter has worked to conserve and protect Alberta's natural environment.
2: Our correspondent, Aubrianna Snow, spoke with Keisha Kerr to learn more.
0: Keisha Kerr is the Executive Director of the Northern Alberta Chapter of the Canadian Parks and Wilderness Society. She completed her Master of Science at the University of Victoria and her PhD at McGill, Her research has taken her as far as Belize, Panama, Texas, and Southern California, and Australia. Keisha teaches biology and earth and ocean sciences at the post-secondary level, and education and public awareness are also a big part of the work she's leading in her current role. We got to talk about caribou, indigenous-led conservation, and the very real impact that climate change will have on life in Alberta, and most importantly, how you can help the Canadian Parks and Wilderness Society in their mission to protect Canada's vast lands and waters. Can you tell me a bit about the work of the Northern Alberta chapter?
3: Yeah, absolutely. So we are one of 13 regional chapters across the country of the Canadian Parks and Wilderness Society, also known as CEPAS. And our main work is advocating for new protected areas, but also good management of our current protected areas and good management of our public lands in Alberta and the area that we work in is from red deer all the way up to the border with the Northwest Territories. And we also do a lot of work on biodiversity related issues, particularly with uh, species at risk.
0: That's some really important work you've got going on, especially these days. I'm wondering if you can tell me a little bit more about what specifically you've got going on in the region related to biodiversity right now?
3: Yeah, sure. So we have been very involved in advocating for better planning and better protections for caribou. So all of the caribou populations that we have in Alberta are in decline. they are a threatened species and several of the populations are close to extirpation, so very low population sizes. And the main reason for the declines in caribou is related to disturbance patterns from industrial development. So we've been... Working really hard to try and get the government of Alberta to put range plans in place that actually look at cumulative impacts of industry and disturbance on these herds. We've also been working on wood bison as well. So we were pushing the government to change the status of wood bison in Alberta. They were not considered wildlife, they were considered livestock until very recently. So that change happened just in the fall. And that was a big win from our perspective, but uh, it is really quite late already in the game. So for example, one of the herds, the Wabaska herd, which is one of the very few and disease-free wood bison herds, is estimated to be probably between nine and 12 individuals that remain.
0: That's really heartbreaking, but it's also really amazing to hear about that protective work that's going on. I'm wondering if you can tell me a little bit about how the Northern Alberta chapter fits into the picture with CPAWS nationally.
3: Yeah. So the Canadian Parks and Wilderness Society, CIPAWS, we have a national office in Ottawa, and then we have the 13 regional chapters across the country. The Northern Alberta and Southern Alberta chapters are two of the first regional chapters that were created. So we've been around since 1968 over 50 years. All across the country, all of our chapters work on public lands and protected areas and also trying to halt and reverse the the biodiversity crisis that we're in right now. So yeah, we collaborate really closely with our national office and multiple of the chapters across the country, but uh, each chapter derives their own campaign. So we are able to respond quickly on the ground to what is happening in the local region.
0: So you mentioned about the Alberta chapters being some of the first nationally for CPAWS. Are you able to share a little bit more of that CPAWS history and specifically about those Alberta chapters?
3: Yeah, sure. So the way that both of our chapters started was actually came from concerned citizens that were really worried about changes that were happening in our national parks. So there were some changes that were planned that were going to increase commercialization and basically reduce some of the protections that were in place in Banff and Jasper. And so these grassroots groups of people got together and they started organizing themselves and and they heard about CPAs, which at that point had had a chapter in Ontario since 1963. And they thought, well, uh, the Canadian Parks and Wilderness Society was a good fit for what they were trying to do. So yeah, our history is is rooted in working to to maintain protections our national parks. But since then, we've expanded to be doing a lot of work on provincial parks and also on our, our public lands in general.
0: That's so amazing. I always love hearing stories of folks getting motivated to make change in their community and having it last a long time like that. One of the core values listed on the CPAW's website is Indigenous-led conservation. Are you able to tell me what exactly that means and what it looks like?
3: Yeah, definitely. So Indigenous-led conservation is, is conservation initiatives that are identified and are led by or driven by the Indigenous communities themselves. So it's maybe an area that they want to see, see protected or changes that they want to see in terms of the management of their traditional lands to improve protections for certain species that are of cultural importance, for the communities. CEPAWS really firmly believes that, that Indigenous communities should be leaders in the management of their traditional lands, the lands and, and waters in their traditional territories. We also see that like research around the world has shown that areas where Indigenous communities are, are managing the lands or are the leaders in the management of their lands, that the loss of biodiversity is much lower. So from a conservation organization perspective, we really see that that there would be a conservation benefit to having increased Indigenous leadership within the management. In terms of also just nationally, Canada needs to respond to these twin crises that we're facing in terms of climate change and biodiversity loss. And we also have identified reconciliation between Indigenous and and non-Indigenous peoples, As an important aspect that our country needs to move forward on. And we see that, we see from a CEPA's perspective, that indigenous-led conservation could contribute to all of those. So the the federal government has recognized that and has committed a large amount of money. I think it's um, 330 million that they committed just before the election to Indigenous-led conservation initiatives across the country. So we really celebrated that and think that that's a good good step.
0: That's really good to know and you've made some great points there. Thank you. One thing I'm really wondering about is a topic of discussion on the CEPA's website for Northern Alberta related to climate change modeling. I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about that and perhaps walk us through what some of those models you've talked about look like.
3: Those maps are based on research done by Rick Schneider, and it was published in 2013. And essentially... What he did was he looked at our natural ecoregions across the province. So that's specific ecotypes across the province. So different types of grasslands and different types of forests, that type of thing. And then he used climate change prediction models to look at how the distribution of those ecoregions would change over the next 100 years. And so for Alberta, what, what he found was that there's an expected increase in maximum annual temperature of up to 4.2 degrees. And on the like lower expectation or the lower emissions model, it was still 2.8. So for people who are familiar with global discussions about climate change, the, the globe is trying to limit the, the increase in temperature to... Preferably 1.5 degrees, but two degrees maximum. So even at the lower emission model, we're going to be well beyond that two degrees. How that's going to impact us is that we're going to have obviously warmer temperatures. Precipitation is also going to change, and it's going to change in a way that even though precipitation overall for the whole year is going to increase, it's going to decrease in the mid to late summer months when stress due to drought basically is highest. So we are going to have basically warmer and drier situation across the province, and that's going to result in a shift of our ecosystems. So we're going to have grasslands that are expanding to the north, and at the 100-year mark, We're going to have very little left of our boreal forest. So um, we're going to lose a lot of our especially mixed wood forests in the north. We're going to be limited to just a couple of refuge locations to the west and south of Wood Buffalo National Park. And that's going to have a huge impact, obviously, on the species that rely on these ecosystems. So it will impact biodiversity. There will be a lot of species that are not going to be able to adapt to the rate of change that is expected. So we'll be losing a lot of different different species, but it will also really affect our communities because forestry is going to be hit very hard obviously, and our communities that are dependent on certain industries are not going to be in those locations anymore.
0: That paints a really grim picture. It's really scary to think about that. But with SeaPause being a national organization, is there anything about climate change in Alberta that's unique in your mind?
3: It's not necessarily unique, but it is that Alberta is expected to be hit one of the hardest in terms of all of the provinces with respect to drought. So water is going to be a big issue for us. In the future. So, because of that, that change in dis- distribution of precipitation across the year, we're going to really have water scarcity issues, especially in late summer. But I think it's also important to remember that the, the large rivers that serve all of the prairies, Alberta, Saskatchewan, and Manitoba, those rivers originate in Alberta, in the, the mountains, in the headwaters along the, the eastern slopes. And so all these other locations are dependent on the water that is is flowing through our province too. So it's going to have a big impact on agriculture. The South Saskatchewan River, for example, is already at, we're already at our limit in terms of the allocation of water that's allowed for Alberta. The North Saskatchewan, we're not quite at that limit yet, but that we will reach it based on these predictions.
0: So that all sounds pretty bleak, but it also sounds like you still have hope that some of these impacts can be reduced. Is there anything that folks can do at the local level to help with the global climate crisis and to help preserve our lands? Absolutely, yeah. So
3: always the biggest thing that we can do is make sure that we're telling our elected officials that these are things that we care about so that we want them to be taking action on climate change um, we want them to be considering nature-based solutions in terms of responding to climate change. We want to see good land use planning that will benefit biodiversity, but also will, will make things really clear to everyone about where and what types of activities can happen. So, yeah, at all levels, we should be regularly contacting our elected officials and, uh, you know, sending them an email or calling them. And then whenever there's opportunities, one of the things that CPOS does regularly is we will have these action alerts or a call to action where we provide the public with, with a letter template and they can just sign their name and send it in. They can add their own thoughts if they want as well. I know for a lot of people that sounds a little bit like anti to do, but they have a huge impact. So like our Defend Alberta Parks campaign is an excellent example of that. The response to that from Albertans was so huge that the government changed their mind on it. And that really is because of the number of people that sent in those letters. So... Even though it's a very quick and easy thing to do, it does have an impact.
0: It's really good to know that those solutions are out there for folks who want to take action. I'm wondering if we can swing back quickly on the land usage piece. And can you tell me what some of the benefits are of having protected lands in the fight against climate change?
3: Oh, so many. Of course, all of our like our wetlands, our our forests, our grasslands, they all contain carbon as as they, they store carbon and they also sequester carbon out of the atmosphere so by preventing those those areas from being converted into something else so some other land use that would result in a lot like the release of those emissions and also the diminishing their ability to sequester we're helping a lot with climate change mitigation the other aspect of course is the biodiversity crisis so the convention on biological diversity which is a a whole bunch of countries around the world that come together to try and halt and reverse biodiversity loss. They have now all agreed to a target of 30% protection of land and waters by 2030. And that is primarily because of the, the benefit that protected areas provide to species. So to, to prevent biodiversity loss. So it's a win-win in terms of those twin crises. And, you know, they're also really important for for human health, right? We really saw our parks get kind of overrun with the pandemic when people couldn't travel outside of the province and um, people are really finding solace in our natural spaces. Yeah, so we certainly, we want to see more and more protected areas created in the province for the benefit of nature, but for benefit of humans as well.
0: Absolutely. That is so important for that mental health aspect as well. And I think that's something that we've all been seeing since the start of the pandemic. So thank you so much for your time today. Before we wrap up, I'm wondering if there's anything that you really wanted to talk about today that I missed or anything that's just heavy on your mind these days. I'd love to hear it.
3: Well, one of the things that we're really working hard on right now is trying to prevent open pit coal mining in the headwaters of the the North Saskatchewan River, but all along the eastern slopes. So we're collaborating with the Southern Alberta Chapter based in Calgary on that as well. So people, if they haven't already spoken out on that, they can go to our website and look at our website on coal and uh, send a letter to the government about that. So the government right now is reviewing um, what they're going to replace the previous coal policy that did protect those those regions in the, the eastern slopes. So that is, of course, an impact that will have big repercussions for the lands where these, these mines would exist, but it's also a big risk to our, our water uh, our drinking water, our aquatic ecosystems, so all of our trout species that uh, a lot of people enjoy doing catch and release fishing, and just the the beauty of those regions. So that's a big big issue I, I hope all Albertans are aware of, and if they're not yet, please do check out our website on that.
2: Thanks very much to Aubriana Snow for bringing us that story. And thanks to Keisha Kerr, Executive Director of the CEPAWS Northern Alberta Chapter, for sharing her time with us.
1: If you'd like to see those climate modeling maps you just heard about, or just find out more about CEPAWS, head on over to our show notes. We'll have the links there.
2: And while you're checking out those links, remember to take a look at ECF's upcoming granting deadlines and the latest on our ECF blog. You can stay in the know about funding opportunities or find out how you can help support your community.
1: Well, that brings us to the end of the show.
2: Thanks so much for sharing your time with us.
1: Yes, thank you. If you enjoyed it, please share this episode with a friend.
2: If you have time, consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. Those reviews help new listeners find us.
1: You can also connect with us on Facebook, where you can share your thoughts and see some pictures.
2: Thanks again for tuning in. We've been your hosts, Andrew Paul.
1: And Elizabeth Bonkin. Until next time.